The carpro.com talk line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Joining me now from Upstate Warrior Solutions is Harold Mays. He's the Director of Program Operations at Compass of Carolina. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, sir. Yeah. You provide counseling services for survivors of domestic violence and fiduciary services for the aging and I some and a lot of things in between those two. Right. Yes, sir. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the aging part because we got a bunch of Vietnam veterans right now. Right? Yes, sir. Um, how 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 do you provide a fiduciary? Because I know the VA doesn't the VA take control of a lot of these guys sometimes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, right now at Compass, we uh, provide fiduciary services for about three hundred uh, individuals uh, here in the Upstate. Uh, Eighty-five of those are veterans. Uh, we get the referrals from uh, Social Security as well as Veteran Affairs. So we service about 85 veterans, and we help them to manage their disability funds. So we uh, help service the SSA, SSI, and VA disability for, for, for those clients. With the aging, what kind like uh – I mean, I imagine that there's different levels of what kind of shape they're in. Everybody ages a little bit different. Yes, sir. Uh, when somebody needs you, they're pretty much, have they become basically a ward of somebody, the, the VA? Right. They're, they're receiving funds, but they need some um, assistance in managing their, their life-sustaining right. bills. Right. And so we help them manage their accounts and uh, give them allowances and help them manage their, their monies uh, with that. Uh, one of the things with veterans, uh, we realize that veterans have um, a different circumstances in their transition, uh, and so we provide additional case management for those veterans that needs assistance. Um, just last year, uh, we had a veteran that had been um, living in this house for about 24 years, paying rent, and the landowner of, of the home uh, passed away and the family members did not want to continue to rent out the home, and so they was going to sell it. Right. So we worked with uh, several organizations, one with Upstate Warrior Solutions and um, uh, Veterans United, and we were able to purchase that house for that veteran. Um, and uh, so he was able to close day one to buy the house that he was staying in for 24 years yep. that was going to be sold off and under him. Wow. Yeah, and, and and so because wow. he didn't know he, yeah. he he didn't know how to navigate through that system. So let's uh, let's go let's shift to the other end of the scale, which is a little more severe domestic violence. Now, yes, are we sir. talking about uh, active duty people? We're talking about people that have come out of active duty and now they're they're dealing with stresses badly, or well, 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 well a lot of people don't know domestic violence um, in DOD in the defense world is twice as high. The offenses are twice as uh, high as in civilian. Um, as a matter of fact, the Blue Star uh, families did a study in 2019, and they looked at 40,000 cases, and they realized out of those 40,000 cases that were reported, 75% of those were physical abuse. Right. So um, it's relatively high in the um, veterans, um, I mean, in the military and so when these families transition to civilian life, um, that is still there. Right. And so we help them navigate through that through anger management, domestic violence. We work with the court systems as well outside of the court systems for those that are 
that realize that they need to the help and we're able to, to, to help them. I, I don't think a lot of people understand when somebody's active duty military, it's all about being deployable. Yes, sir. You got to be deployable. So if you, if you're having a domestic issue, they'll just send your spouse, whoever they are back, wherever they come from, Yes, sir. put you in the barracks. Cause now you're deployable and we just solve that problem. They right. don't have to solve that problem. They don't have to get out there and go, well, why do you guys fight so much? Right. They don't yes, have sir. the time to do that. So, uh, do you, have you ever had any cases where they've actually done something like that? I've seen it happen a couple of times. Yes, sir, and, and that happens. But the other part of that is the victim and the victim services. Right. Right? And so we provide domestic violence services with the batterers, but also we provide the services for the victim and the family members. Right. Uh, one thing about Compass, and Compass has a long history. Compass is 105 years old. It is the oldest nonprofit here in the, in the upstate. Uh, we started out in 1919. We started out for, as the Green Acres Home for Women. Right. And this was a safe refuge for uh, homeless women. Right. And then we transitioned into what we call the Juvenile Protection Association, working with the domestic um, juveniles that were delinquent within the uh, Greenville community. Um, and then at 19, the end of 1930, uh, we hired the first black social worker that dealt with domestic i mean dealt with juvenile delinquency within the black community right and that was unheard of at that time right and the reason why compass have survived so long we kept transitioning and then in the 1950s we became the, the family welfare system of family welfare association which transitioned into um, the family services in juvenile court uh, children's court that they called it at that particular time and then in the 1960s and 70s we transitioned into what we call family and children's services okay and then when it came into the 1990s and the 2000s what a lot of people don't know about um, compass of carolina we were the founders in or at the table for a lot of organizations that are still here operating here in the upstate for um, domestic violence, shelter for domestic violence, um, children's services spun out of either spun out of Compass or Compass was at the table to help birth those other organizations that are helping so much here in the upstate. Right. That uh, domestic violence is a, is a full that's a that's a full court press type of topic. There's yeah. so many variations, so yeah. many variables to play into it, and so many different ways you got to look at things right. and things you got to look out for. Um, now, if somebody wanted to, if somebody needed any of these, where they is what's the website for Compass of Carolina where they could find out everything that you? Yeah, www.compassofcarolina. Yeah, yeah. And if somebody finds something there, can they contact you through the Roop? Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. Upstate Warrior Solutions. Yeah, yeah. So. We, are, we are partners. Yeah. Um, as well as we provide counseling, uh, holistic counseling for right. the children uh, as well as for the adults. Uh, we provide services for the Spanish-speaking community as well. Right. A third of, of who we serve are Spanish-speaking, and we have the, the, um, the facilitators to help with classes and some of those uh, uh, counseling needs that they may have. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's, uh, you know, what is one of the things, and we got a couple of minutes here, what's one of the things that we, between aging and domestic violence, what's one area that you guys cover that I don't know about right now? Uh, we know that for this services, I would say 
Um, all our victim services are free. Right. And counseling uh, as well right. is free for, for them. Uh, we just bring in back a program called Second Chance where it's a parent component as well as a um, adolescent component where we bring the family in, we serve them a light meal, right. and then the teens will go into one group, the parents will go into another group, and then we will teach them some um, psycho-ed type of um, uh, parenting things as well as psychosocial things that the, um, the teens need to navigate. And um, we'll bring the family back together and we will debrief them on the lessons that was taught, and we'll get uh, lessons learned, and then we'll follow up the next week, and we will continue. Uh, the thing about Compass, you can uh, we have a therapist that's working with us now that came in when she was about 12 years old. Right. And so we can service an individual from early ch- um, from the uh, as a child, right, all the way up to an adult, and then they can later come back and get a job with us. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I, I I could see why somebody would want to do that though. If they get get something from it, why wouldn't they want to give back? Give back. Uh, Compass of Carolina website is compassofcarolina dot com. Thank you very much for joining me today, sir. Okay, thank yeah. you, Bill. Coming up next, we're going to talk to uh, Special Forces Association Chapter three sixty three. Pat Fensum is here. He's got somebody else with him, but I haven't been told his name yet. But we're going to talk to those guys when we get back. This is News Talk ninety eight nine W O R D, the voice of the Carolinas. All right. The carpro.com talk line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Joining me now is Pat Fensom and Kevin Barry. Yeah? Yes. It's not like it's such a difficult If You know, Catherine could have written it down for me. She didn't. Th- these guys are from Special Forces Association Chapter 363. Good Got- morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Okay, so. Is this local? I mean, I wasn't in special operations, so of course you guys didn't invite me to join. So uh, I did. I, I know very little about you. Yeah, so I'll give you an invite right now. You're oh, yeah? welcome to join us. We are local. Uh, special Forces Association it has its national headquarters at Fort Bragg or Fayetteville, and it has chapters throughout the continental United States, right? Uh, as well as some chapters in different overseas spots. We are a upstate chapter, um, going on our third year. I have heard that in this corridor in the southeast that there is a bigger concentration of spec ops veterans than anywhere else in the United States. Is that true? I don't know if that's true. I think some of the bases, you know, outside of San Diego, uh, Fayetteville, you have a higher concentration of uh, former special operation folks. Right. Um, But this area does have a large uh, presence of former soft or special forces folks. Yeah, you figure uh, Fort Bragg is the mecca right. of a special ops. But, I mean, so. Banning's where they're training the Rangers and Airborne yes. and all this other stuff. Right. And you got Huntsville where all the Hilo guys are coming right. from. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. That's that's right. Because uh, the southeast is sort of a spec ops rich as far as the training part of it. Um, you guys probably have a different kind of cat that is a member of the Special Forces Association simply because of the mission you guys had to work with when you were in there, right? I mean, there's there's some truth to that, but our chapter here is also open to the greater veteran population. Right. So as a fraternal organization, we do focus on 
uh, special forces veteran or those folks that served in the special forces groups because we have a lot of members that didn't have the uh, MOS or job specialty as a Green Beret but provide a lot of resources and a lot of support while they were on active status. Right. So those folks that served in those units, uh, were, you know, they tend to gravitate towards the Special Forces Association. We also know as a chapter there's a lot that we did while we were on active duty that required the bigger machine, if you will, not just the Army as a branch, but the sister services. Right. So with what we do here, we, we are definitely open to other veterans, and we welcome them. You know, if they believe in our mission, they want to learn more or be a part of our mission, by all means, we have a means to join us. Yeah. Where, where, where's the chapter at? Where, where's that? Around? We, we meet right in this room right here. Right here. The, right, right, here. right here at the roof, <laughs> yes. So yes. that's why they haven't changed that to Fort. It's still Fort Bragg on the clock right there. I wondered why that hadn't changed yet. I my wonder why we should, it should stay that way. I, I'm my opinion too. I, you know, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not one of these politically correct people that looks at this stuff. For uh, for you guys, uh, especially for. I mean, that was the way I wanted to go. I had I had all of the attributes except for color vision. Oh. When I came out of the ASVAB, I, I was like, they said this is a really impressive GT score. I said, really? I said, yeah. I've never seen one that high. And I said, but well, you're colorblind. Mm. So uh, I had to go. The closest I could get to a combat unit was to get in communications, which yeah. where I spent most of it. Then I went into intelligence at Fort Campbell. And but the thing that I, what I do know about it, because I trained around him enough. I trained with around him at, at uh, Campbell, and I trained around him at Bad Tolls when I was in oh, Germany. Yeah. Um, very self-motivated personnel. Very much, uh, they, they didn't, you know, they wanted to work with their unit, but if they lost their unit, they would keep on going. Nope, no problems there. Very mission-oriented. Uh, a special forces uh, operator, when he comes out of the mil- out of the military into the civilian world, he's actually quite an attribute to the civilian world, isn't he? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think the, uh, you know, what you see out there with guys transitioning and going into their next phase of life, you see them in different pockets, white collar, blue collar, um, you, know, you had a guest couple um, a couple interviews ago, um, uh, very much so entrepreneurs. Right. You know, some of the guys uh, don't no longer want to be part of the bigger machine, so they, you know, they are into shooting or training, dogs, what have you. Uh, they get into it and they give hundred percent. Right. So that that's a neat part about that. Yeah. What is the uh the the other thing about them that I don't think most people understand when with with mechanized infantry. The logistics trains we had behind us, that was impressive. Sure. Yes. Just all kinds of stuff as far as the eye could see. With a lot of your missions, uh, you you look to the guy behind you, and if there's nobody behind him, that's the end of the logistic trains, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, a lot of isolated missions, and you had to carry everything on your back. Right. Yeah, and there's times, you know, for, for a lot of what we did um, – those trains, those support mechanisms that happen during the planning phase, right. the preparation. And then once you put boots on the ground or close to the X, um, you, you count on the guy to the left and right of you, but you also count on the resources that are in the area. Right. So you had to learn to whether, you know, you had to learn what was in the area and be able to talk the language, uh, be able to adjust to that culture right. and then survive on the ground. Right. 
little little field appropriation here and there. Yeah, absolutely. That and then just the local populace, right? Local economy. Yep. So you had to also have a little bit of psychologists built into you to make those relationships work. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's the specialized nature of it. Now, what is, what is it that you guys do here? So with, as a fr- with this now, yeah, as a fraternal organization, first and foremost, we try to bring in those SF and 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 special operations vets together. Um, we we have a lot, several programs that we do here. One of the things we're tied into the local ROTC programs. And I'll let Kevin talk about that. Uh, we like to go and teach at uh, Clemson, Furman, and Wofford. And besides just teaching, so we've offered classes on uh, Green Berets in the Vietnam War. Mm. But we also have what we call a we, – we have a, an award that we give to the ROTC cadets. And you think about it, part of it's recruiting. We're trying to inspire young people to uh, eventually become Green Berets as after they get commissioned and continue on in their career. Is there a rank requirement to go to Special Forces? Well, right now, you could come right off the streets. Okay. Um, there's an age requirement. I believe it's 21. So you can enlist on what's called the 18 X-ray program. And that's been available throughout the history. It wasn't available when you joined the Army and when I joined the Army. I, I venture to say we probably came in around the same time. Back then, you had to be at least an E-4. I came in in 84. Okay. So I was a few years behind you. Yeah. As an officer, um, you have to at least – be at the captain rank and go through the training or apply for the training. See, that that stuns me. I, I mean, by the time a guy makes captain or E5, it, is that where the rank was or E4 was it? Back then it was E4, promotable to E5. Yeah. Right now you could come in. See, I, I don't think most people understand the athletic nature of just being in the military because you really do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day, like tear up your knee, your Achilles tendon, a bunch <laughs> of other things. And uh, to to uh, get in there at that particular time in your life, that's uh, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of desire on their part. So you've got some very highly motivated people doing it, and that's that's all. That was what attracted me. To, I, I wanted to try it, but I never got to try it. But now with the with the with the kids and the Rotsies, right? Are they capable? Like they used to be in the '80s, are they as capable today as they used to be in the '80s? What's their mindset oh, coming? Oh, sure. In? Yeah, yeah. I mean, young people today. I mean, the people we're talking to, they want to serve their sure. country. Sure. Okay. Okay. And uh, again, we're we're trying to plant those seeds that uh, it is several years down the road for an officer. Uh, as Pat just said, you you can't get into special forces training until you're a captain. Right. So yeah. And I think the young person off the street that wants to enlist, are they capable? Hundred percent. Yep. You know, there was, we have different things that went on, different generations. Right. But somebody that wants to serve and wants to excel, um, yes, there's a lot of distractors. But that's another thing we want to do. We want to mentor those young people and say, hey, you can do it. Look at, look at us. I'm nothing special. I wasn't a physical specimen. I just had a hard head. Right. And I wasn't going to quit. quit. Wouldn't quit. quit. That's the thing, not quit. Just yep. being able to not quit. That's Most people don't understand it when I tell them the difference between a military person and a civilian is there. Military has the capability to embrace misery. Yes. Embrace the suck. Yep, yep. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I want to talk to you guys about this later on, but thank you. I, I didn't even know you guys existed. It's, yeah. I, I've never gotten asked some of these questions before. I think you could tell. <laughs> Special Forces Association, Chapter 363, they meet right here at the Roop, 770 Pelham Road. I guess you could call call the uh, State Warrior Solutions and find out more and get in touch with Mr. Fenson, Mr. Barry, and join if that's something you want to do. I might do it. 
Come on up. Coming up next, we're going to speak with David and Brenda Fox. And I'm not going to get into the rest of it because this is a too deep of a story to tell in five seconds. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Uncharted territory for me right now. The carpro.com talk line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Uh, there are, you know, being a military member is not, not the easiest thing in the world. Being a military spouse is probably a little less easy. And then there's being the parents of the military member, which are the most powerless. They're the most powerless in that little equation. Joining me now. David and Brenda Fox, they are the parents of Staff Sergeant Parker Gordon Fox. Uh, most people of his age don't get to be what he was. He must have been quite the soldier. We think he was. Yeah. Yeah. He was a staff. He, when did he join? Was he 18? He was uh, 19. 19. Yeah. He was a staff sergeant and a sniper instructor at Fort Benning. Yes. Which means that he served somewhere as a sniper. And you, do you guys even know where he served as a sniper? He actually didn't do the sniper training until he was stationed in Italy, started there in two four, 2014, right. came back to the States in 2017 to Fort Benning, did sniper training, was so good at it that they asked him to be was an instructor. Was he in Palermo? No. no? He was okay. in uh, Vicenza. Vicenza. Okay. <laughs> That's equally as interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Italy is uh, where they have a lot of uh, special type missions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Vicenza being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, your son committed suicide in 2020 at the age of 25. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Any, I'm going to presume there was no sign at all. We did not see any sign. Yeah. He actually, um, because of COVID that year, yeah. Fort Benning had been in lockdown for several months we had not seen him since christmas right and they actually kind of opened back up they started training again and he got a couple of weeks vacation and he said i'm coming home mama and i said okay and he came in like on a thursday spent that weekend with us thursday through sunday tried to talk him into staying because he still had the next week off and he said i can get back i'm gonna do some stuff and right um we had a great weekend. We took him to some of his favorite places around the area. And, you know, people have asked me since, did he come home to say goodbye? And I said, no, he was planning. He was talking about buying a house, going back to school. He right. was getting ready to go to Colorado. He was making plans. He was making plans. Right. And um, he left on Sunday and on between Monday night and Tuesday morning. Was he a single soldier living in the barracks? He was not. He was living in an apartment. He had a roommate. Okay. Um, he and his wife had gone through a separation and divorce in October of 2019 but they still loved each other right and we found out later that he was probably having some depression problems and didn't want to put her through it yeah well I mean staff sergeants E7s even in some cases E8 says they're sort of a little fraternity of themselves mm -hmm. and uh, I would not imagine that in uh, at Fort Benning with a, that I mean that's some severe esprit de corps you got going mm -hmm. on there that he was alone, uh, no indication that he was giving everything away or anything? Nope. No. No. no, not at all. And 
honestly, so many of his fellow trainers, people that he knew, came to us and said, you know, he was the one that I called when I was having problems. I'd call him at 2 o'clock in the morning. He'd come over and sit with me, get me through the night. Right. One had done that the weekend before. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, it blindsided us. Yeah. And, I, yeah. In his suicide note, he mentioned that he had had this thought a few times. And that he and had that, to do it quick because he had some good buddies that would stop him. Yeah. So we think of it as not that he had made a decision and it was a matter of time, but, you know, it was mm-hmm. it was something that during weak points he would be. It came to his mind. Yeah. yeah. And we, we feel very much that had he been able to get through that weak point He'd and get, get the right yeah. support. Well, I mean, uh, I think one of the things that most people don't understand about the military, they see, they always see people in camouflage and in a group and with their buddies right. and all this other stuff, and you always see them in a, in a group when they go off base and everything else. And they under, don't understand that, uh, you know, a, a whole lot of what makes a military person so special is what's between their ears. That's mm-hmm. both their strength and their weak point. Yes. And with some people, uh, if he was feeling a sense of isolation, but it was fleeting. That's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of people that were fairly, uh, never, never on this level, you know, just, yeah. just yeah. friends uh, that leave nothing but questions. And uh, so out of this, and we're going to talk about this in the next little bit, but out of this, you guys did not just let this sit back and you, you, you didn't fall back to a position and say, I'm just going to feel miserable for the rest of my life, did you? Can't do that. Yeah. That, that's too hard on you. Yeah. Um, so the morning after we were notified, we were approached by a couple of his buddies that he'd known in Italy. Right. And one of them said, Hey, we've set up a fund to help you with, you know, funeral expenses. And I said, we don't need help with funeral expenses. Take that money and donate it to organizations that help with veteran suicide. And we said that less than 24 hours after we knew that he had died. Right. I had family members that said, what are you telling people? Are you telling people how he died? And I said, we're telling the truth. I'm not going to push this under the rug. I'm, I, people need to understand that this happens. Yeah. And you cannot cover it up. You have to let it be known. There's a lot of pressure that everybody in the military internalizes, and that's probably due to the fact that, you know, after, you know, we're, when you're in the military, you're, the, you're at the height of your power. Mm-hmm. You're young. Yeah. You you have knees that still work. You yeah. feel like you're never going to die. That you've been taken off the block, like with your son. He could reach out and touch somebody at a mile and a half and away. They'd never know what happened to him. Right. They'd just be like, pop, and it'd be done. I mean, that kind yeah. that kind of skill set is very impressive to bestow upon anybody to mm-hmm. and to gather it. So, when that happens and you start getting these internalized thoughts and you bring it in. You're not going to share that with too many people most no, of the time. No. You're not going to allow yourself to do that. And then you put yourself in immense pressure. And young people like that just don't know how to cope with that. And that's 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 what everybody in the military is going through today. Yeah. And most people don't. And they that. have easy access to guns, which are very deadly. Uh, the, the problem with that that I have found is that uh, after the one, the one that was closest to me did that, I, I it bothered me a great deal, and I called a psychologist and I asked her about this, and she said the problem is that when they come to this conclusion, right, that this is what they're going to do. This is the first peaceful moment they've had, 
and they're not going to be swayed from it. So it's not so much about the tool yeah, right. Right. as it is about that thought pattern that they develop. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, I believe that was the case, as you described, every case is different. Yeah. And just every every person struggling yeah. needs a different approach, a unique approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of what's hurting them, or because of what's around them, right. or not around them, um, I think, like in Parker's case, I think, as he said, as he said in his note, he would have these thoughts occasionally. Right. So those were his weak times. Yep. Mm-hmm. During his up times, he was making plans for for buying a house. He was, you know, so it's almost like I wish that soldiers that were experiencing it the way Parker was, if they they could put that gun with someone else that could be that, well, that's, that check that, 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 that's, that, that's the balancing act, yeah. isn't it? Trying yeah. to find how you prevent this and how you get to that, yeah. to that very granular level to right. where it, mm-hmm. doesn't, uh, it doesn't go any further than that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, uh, when we get back, we're going to be speaking some more with you, Mrs. Fox. Mm-hmm. Mr. Fox, my, uh, you know, bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish I could have served with your boy. (laughs) (laughs) You would have had fun. Coming back, when we get back, it's going to be uh, James Mulek, Director of Warrior Advocacy, and Brenda Fox again. She's pressed into double duty, and right after this, she'll be taking over the show because I'm going to go open a surfboard shop that sells surfer wax. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Okay, well, uh, the, the carpro.com talk line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. That's the drama of live radio. That's what happens when live radio hiccups. <laughs> Joining me again is uh, Brenda Fox. Hello. Uh, mother of Staff Sergeant Parker Fox and... James Mulek, Director of Warrior Advocacy here at Upstate Warrior Solutions. You guys are uh, one of 80 organizations nationwide to pilot the Staff Sergeant Parker Gordon Fox Suicide Prevention Program. Yes, this is correct. Um, We're in the second year of the three-year pilot program. Right. And uh, this uh, program has advanced our daily operations because up to this point, we never really got the why behind the why when working with veterans and kind of see where they're at up until this point when working with um veterans who died by suicide it was always after the fact we would interview family members friends relatives neighbors co-workers but we never really got to the crux of the issue in getting the opportunity to speak with the veterans and kind of getting their backstory and using those screening tools to see where they're at at that moment right and kind of see if those risk factors are are there and if they are there then get those get them into preventative services immediately, and this program has allowed us to do that. So, how do you screen it, and how you, what what are preventative services? Because you know <coughs> now you're fighting a mindset. This is uh, you, you're you're up against a big big pushback. Sure. So since it's the federal government, there is a little bit of red tape. Obviously, with it being a, a federal VA funded program, the veteran themselves have to be eligible for VA services. Okay. So once we clarify veteran um, them being eligible for veteran services then we're allowed to screen them through the first two screenings are a psychosocial risk assessment and that kind of tells you um, are they employed were they recently unemployed did they lose a house are they having you know 
um, trouble paying bills? Do they have chronic back pain? Do they have a recent injury to a you know, TBI or back right. injury? Anything like that that could possibly put them in a mindset where the, we don't want them to spiral, but there's, there's significant issues going on in their lives that potentially could be a risk factor. And then after that, we go into what's called a, a Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale, which is CSSRS. It's six simple questions, but it gets to the point. When you're talking about suicide, you don't want to beat around the bush. You want to right. be direct to the point. Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Because you'd be like, have you really thought about this? No. Do you plan on killing yourself? And if so, have you thought it out? Do you have a plan? Do you have a means of executing that situation? Once you're up front and in the face with somebody, the idea is hopefully that they're honest with you. And they'll say, yeah, I have been. So all these questions look in the past, past 30 days. So in the past 30 days, have you thought about taking your own life? Right. Have you thought about um, the way you would do it? Have you ever thought about doing it? And do you have a lifetime of, of the passive? Have you ever thought about actually taking your life and making these steps? Um, so if they, they answered yes, and there's three categories. You've got low, medium, and high risk. And we have a policy for each one of those breakdowns. But the important thing is if they're at minimum low risk, they technically qualify for this program and allows them to get into mental health services and treatment a lot quicker. The goal is to get veterans connected to VA resources right. immediately. Problem is 70% of the veterans across the country aren't connected to VA services. Nope. And 70% of veteran suicides are veterans who are not connected to VA services. Right. So there's a huge disconnect. So how do we get these veterans into services and getting them in front of a professional to talk to them so they can cope with what's going on in their life and use agencies like us in the community to kind of fuel that and be that um, vehicle for getting them to where they need to be and provide uh, wraparound services. So that's really how it's changed us, um, getting to know that individual at that level and getting ahead of um, anything that, that may potentially could happen with those risk factors and identifying them up front and then using our programs and other programs in the community to get after it. And this is all a result since this is the Fox organization. This is how, how much how much input did you have to this? Honestly, we did we did, personally didn't have a whole lot of input. Right. Uh, one of our congressmen approached us and told us about uh, the Commander Scott Hanson bill that was going through mm -hmm. and that he wanted to set up a grant, a provision um, for suicide prevention for nonprofits who help the VA and he wanted to put Parker's name on it. Well, I mean, it, it, it's going to have to be a nonprofit because, like you said, 70% of veterans yes. don't have access to VA benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, I myself am trying to get two bionic knees right now and I'm just having all kinds of pushback mm -hmm. on that. So, mm -hmm. uh, to that end, uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware of those sort of problems. Um, how would they, how do they find, how do people find out about this? If, you, if they have a family member or something, how do they get in contact? Sure. So uh, the quickest way is you can go online and, you know, look up our website, Upstate Warrior Solution. Uh, on there, there's a button where you can say get help now. And you can put your individuals, if, even if you are in a veteran who is um, needing assistance or you know a veteran, uh, you can provide that name, phone number, and a, a way of contacting that individual. Another one, obviously, we have this big, beautiful building in our community yep. that everybody is, it's, it's welcome to family and veterans, and they're more welcome to come here and talk to somebody. Um, that, that's the easiest way. And then uh, we have a great marketing team, social media footprint, so you can check us out online. Um, if you're afraid to do face-to-face, -face, if you want to you know, drop a you know, private message on one of our social media websites, um, you can do that as well. The organization is a Staff Sergeant Parker Gordon Fox Suicide Prevention Program. Well worth your look. 
right now. This is a this is an ongoing problem. It's not a past problem. It's not a problem that uh, we're looking at happening later on today. This is going on every day, all day, with people in the military that have been in the military or are no longer in the military. It's always a thing. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be back in about 22 hours. You are listening to News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.